AT, week six. It's going to be uh, a sick one this weekend. I'm excited to kind of go over all the picks, too. That's one of my favorite part of the show. Sucks. Uh, especially this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, breaking news, a 2021 from Pennsylvania is committed to Maryland. He is yet to start his eighth grade spring lacrosse rec league on a scale of 1 to 10, AT, 1 being the least, how much do you care? Uh, I have an 8th grade daughter, and I have a 4th grade son. This is the rule, I think, that the college coaches should abide by. Right? Everybody's got their respective opinions. Here's the rule. If a kid has a bedtime, <laughs> college coaches... <laughs> should not be able to offer him <laughs> support if he misses office. Come on, guys! <laughs> He's only played for seventh grade! Uh, 2021. still! <laughs> Back off! Oh, man. My, my, uh, my son is 11 years old, and that would put him two years away from the recruiting process. <laughs> I'm just gonna start drawing hair on James Towers' legs. <laughs> it appears that he's recruitable. Uh, so painful. I, I think. think I, I mean, it's so, in the, it's so embarrassing. And it's actually—I hate to say it—it's actually really embarrassing for the parents of the kids that commit this. Is early. it though? Is it? Is it I, that I embarrassing? Feel- I almost feel like social services should be showing up at their door and saying, listen, we need a meeting. We need to sit down. I mean, enthusiasm is one thing, Ryan. Okay. But come on. It's not, it's not like he's committing to Stanford. Yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, he's probably, um, he's probably, I don't know. He's probably getting a ton of money. I, don't, I, I have no idea. Maybe the kid put it just... this way, right? He, he, he commits to one of the best programs out there. Yeah. Does that program not feel like they won't still be able to get him when he's an eleventh grader or a twelfth grader? I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a re- negative reflection on the confidence that that program has in themselves uh, as well. I mean, you you honestly feel like unless you get him as an eighth grader. You're not going to get him? Well, I, I do believe, and this is like a recruiting kind of like philosophy. I do believe if you are first and you make an impact, you, he is least likely to decommit later. No matter what, the number of de- decommits has increased, say, exponentially over the last two to three years. Yep. Um, we've talked to Ty Zanders a few times on our show about it. However... Those are those decommits. The number of decommits is still massively smaller than the overall number of commits. And so, from that standpoint, if you get on them early and you get them to commit, the likelihood of them decommitting later is still very, very small. Now, it could happen. Um, and so, these programs are going early for that very reason. Look, we're going to lock them in now, and we're going to continue to recruit them for the next, now in this case, five years, uh, up until he signs the letter of intent. But he's less likely to do so. So lock them in now and it take the risk. It just looks weird. It does you know, look a little let, weird. Listen, let the balls drop. 
with the ball drop. <laughs> and then and then you can start to have conversations. But it's just it's too bad. I mean, it's just it's just too bad. Hopefully these guys will put the brakes on it in April. I think that the vote comes out in April. Is that right? Right? It does, but it doesn't um I really think for sure it's not going to pass, and I think a lot of it's due to the fact that, uh, say, the mid-major schools want Maryland to do what they're doing. I mean, the the more that they go early, the more volatility there is in the recruiting process, which means that more of these schools that are, quote-unquote, on the lower half of Division One, say 30 and down, have an opportunity to scoop up a kid later in the process that might be better than the ones that they're recruiting in the top 30. Um, so I think that any time that there's a unified decision in the IMLCA, the immediately whether the coaches agree or disagree with it, they're going to disagree so that there's no unified de- uh, decision because – if you and I that have the same the people on top on top, that's right. Exactly. And Perfect. so, and it keeps the people on the bottom on the bottom. And so any sort of unified decision, people are going to be like, no, I don't want it because guys at the bottom want to work harder. They want to get on the road more and they want to evaluate more. And so, it, but look, it, the recruiting and everyone keeps, you know, I guess there is a legitimacy to, all right, this is a little too early. I get it. I have an 11 year old. I understand you have an eighth grader. You understand um, it is a little too early, but in terms of the parity out there, don't be blaming it on the early recruiting. Uh, it has nothing to do with the early recruiting. It has to do with the fact that there are still 70 teams and now literally 100,000 high schools playing lacrosse across the country. There's just too many good players to pick from. But, look, everyone's looking for the Deshaun Watsons and the Jameis Winstons because that one recruit will get you a national championship. And there's no school out there that needs that national championship more than Maryland and John Tillman because they have been to, I think, nine of them and haven't been to one of them. Uh, they're going to they're going to get it before that kid <laughs> no longer know. has a bedtime. They they will. I, they're going to get it before that kid, that kid uh you know gets there. But it, listen, it, it's almost like Donald Trump needs to come up and clean <laughs> up the college lacrosse political swamp that seems to exist if the people on the top are making decisions to keep them on top and keep the people on the bottom uh on the bottom. It's true. You need revamping. It's true. In other news, Princeton lacrosse faceoff guy, Zach Courier, may have downloaded or ordered a copy of Lacrosse Draws, a.k.a. Andy Towers, DVD recently, as a clip has surfaced of him doing the move. A.T., go ahead. Just just talk to us about the move. The deflator. Right. It's back in... The days of basic cable and rotary phone, <laughs> and you can clearly see from the video that he's coming out and he's grabbing the stick and he's dragging it back. And you know what? Listen, uh, I'm not an advocate of cheating, um, but he's got a job to do, and that's to win the faceoff. <laughs> and the referees have a job, and that is to officiate the game, and in particular that play. Mm-hmm. And he was able to get away with it. The whole game. It's almost you, – you watch it in full speed. There is almost zero way you can notice it. Well, I mean, listen, that's why it was effective. You know, listen, because they adjusted the rule three, four, five years ago, whatever it was, when the you know, the officials at that time were on it, you know, they made a point to really watch for guys grabbing the stick. And to the credit of the game, 
they changed the rules and made it a you know a one minute penalty personal foul it's locked yeah. in too it's locked I mean, that's in. a big time yes. repercussion for getting yes. caught grabbing the stick and, 100%. and that's the right rule you yep. know i mean listen when 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 i was playing it, it was you know, the wild, wild west as it related to that aspect of the game. And the officials had no clue because most of them had never even played the cross, let alone actually faced off. So they just didn't know what to look for. But yep. as the game has progressed and evolved and you have, uh, you know, the conventions and the face-off gurus go and speak at these conventions and they give everybody a, a you know, a peek behind the curtain, as Timmy McEntee used to say, um, you know, everybody's become a lot more educated about what you can and can't get away with and what's within the spirit of the rules and what's not. And um, I'm not pretending to say that it's in the spirit of the rules to cheat, um, you know, but clearly that guy has groomed his technique to the degree where he's able to pull it off in front of a division one ref in what is an incredibly at the highest profile game of, you know, Princeton Hopkins. And, and he's able to get that done. You know, that's I don't fault. I don't fault him for doing it. I, I have to fault. He's got to win the faceoff. Listen, I, I don't I fault the officials for not catching it and penalizing him for it. Right. It, it's that simple. You know, he gets he gets a one minute non-releasable penalty for that. That's the end of it. He's not yep. going to do it. Anymore. That's 100% it's just that simple. Right. Yep. You know, um, so listen, I I. I I, 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 that's only officials, Ryan. I, I don't disagree with you. However, that video or the information to, for me to receive that video actually came from referees. And I want the world to know the division one fan world to know that these referees go back and watch the film. Now, Johns Hopkins and the whole staff were yelling and screaming at the refs, the whole game that he is holding his stick. He's grabbing and, his stick. And they were right. And they were right. Because they have their player telling them, look, he's holding my stick now. Well, they... if, 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 if Courier actually did get the video, he knows that when you do the move, that the coaches are going to start saying that. And when you approach every faceoff, you, of course, say that the Hopkins guy's grabbing my stick. Or <laughs> you neutralize right. everybody's credibility. Right? <laughs> that's, right. I, that's the fine print with the move, Ryan. That is, that is a nice subtlety uh, to the faceoff dynamic. Uh, but but it comes from but those but are smart. it's coming it's coming from the referees which is great I, I think it's great I think that the referees taking the time to go back and watch the film and, and correct their mistakes I think Kevin O'Leary was on that staff uh, um, that yeah. Hopkins Princeton game and he's you know regarded as one of the best refs in Division One I. I think there are a few others that deserve that yeah. credit as Maddie well Matty would have caught it. Yeah, he could have, and he might not have. I mean, look, the move was well done. There's zero no question about that. And no and it's nice to know that that's what they're looking for, you know, and that they're trying to become better refs because of it. And so if you're a referee listening to this, I know Sean Murphy oftentimes watches our show. Uh, I appreciate the work you do after Murphy the game. still owe me for the Brown Dartmouth game. It went in. It went in. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate what the rest are doing. I, I do think that they are trying to make our, our game better. We need yeah. to help them out with the rules, um, but uh, it's good to see that. Now, AT, you had your first ever media poll yeah. vote. Now, in your face, I'm going to say this. We're now established media company. 
Let's re- high five, AT. Love that. Uh, yes. And so we're official. Thank you, Terry Foy and the Inside Lacrosse folks for Back in there. It, it's it's I know it was like brutal when they pressed the press the button, sent the email to Towers to give a vote. And they're like, no, 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 no. And they did it. <laughs> um, but I appreciate it inside lacrosse. So AT has a vote in the poll. But I'm going to ask you a few things here, AT, about your poll. Yes. Hofstra was n- was number 14 in your poll and not on the national poll. Talk to me about it. They flat out got screwed. Right. Listen, Hofstra's four and oh. Right, mm-hmm. they've beaten light opponents in New Jersey IT. Right, they've beaten Mammoth, who we all know is a solid team, not a top twenty-five team, but a solid team. Georgetown definitely has top twenty talent. While their record hasn't been great, credit Kevin with the great win last night, his first of the season with a win over Robert Morris, I believe. Right, twelve-seven, I think. Yes. Um, not an easy team to beat either. No, it's not. It's it's a nightmare. But most importantly, they beat Princeton. Yeah. Right? Princeton dismantles Johns Hopkins on Saturday. Their Hofstra's undefeated. They have a win over Princeton. And Princeton just pounded, you know, what was essentially the number three team in Division One lacrosse. And we all have felt, many media outlets, that Johns Hopkins going into the Princeton game last weekend may have been the best team in the country with the way that they had been playing. There's zero right? disagreement with that. Yeah. And, and so the fact that they are not in the final media poll and you've got BU who hasn't played many people except eh, I'm not going to pick on BU, but let's say, uh, you know, Towson and Ohio state, both listen, they're off the decent starts record wise. They haven't played anybody. Right. To me, Hofstra's got to be in there. Right? Like if Princeton's it. in there at 19, how is Hofstra not in there? They beat them head-to-head. Yeah, now, true. you could say, oh, well, they have a bigger win. Hof- Princeton's win over Hopkins is bigger than Hofstra's win over Princeton. No problem. Put them both in. But don't put Princeton in ahead of Hofstra when they played head-to-head, and Princeton proved it was better. I'm I sorry. Like Hofstra proved it was better. I like so, it. That's my argument. I like it. Richmond was not on your poll. Now that Yale lost last night, do you regret not putting Richmond at number 20? Yeah, I'm not so sure it's Richmond that gets the 20th vote. I, I put enough. Yale in there because um, it was tough for me to drop them from six to out of the poll, although I know Quint did, and he was right. Um, you know, but and, and, I, and I almost did. I'm looking at it, but I'm just thinking, I know I know that Yale's obviously a great program. I have a ton of respect for Coach Shea. Uh, I hate Yale, though. We all hate I, Yale. I, I hate Yale. Yes, I hate Yale. You never hear anybody say, hey, you know what? A bunch of Yale guys. It was great. <laughs> never hear that. You don't. I mean, you don't. If you hear that about the Cornell guys, yeah. right? You yeah. hear it about the Cornell guys, you don't hear it about the Yale guys. No offense, John Riggs. You're the exception to the rule. You too, Tony Guido. Um, but I, I listen, for me, I think the next team was probably going to be a toss-up between, is it Towson at 3-1? and one? Is it Harvard at... Uh, 4-0, Richmond is there. They lost a one-goal game, you know, to Duke, but they don't have any wins. Marist, Marquette really doesn't count as a win for me. Marist is is potentially there. Air Force is potentially there. You know, Navy's played a tough schedule. My boy John Basti getting it done at Sacred Heart. I saw Bobby Rushton yesterday. Everyone was picking up James at the cross. Sacred Heart <laughs> is 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 legit. Um, you know, 
Good. Uh, it gives credibility to Dartmouth. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of teams that have beaten nobody that have good records that maybe could have been in there ahead of Yale. Yale yeah. losing to UMass last night does not make me look smart. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I texted you to let you know that I had Yale in there at 20, but I just didn't feel good about it. And that was the only team in there that I didn't feel good about. And unfortunately for the Elis, they lost last night to UMass, so it validates that I shouldn't have put them in there. So I was wrong. Yeah, no, I, I that was the only one that I disagreed with was a Yale at number 20, just because I felt like there were more candidates. Um, yeah. But uh, on individual polls uh, yep. that I've seen, and I really do appreciate people publishing their own uh, polls. We will publish ATs every week so yep. people can interact and, and just enforce AT Pretty to size. justify us. Yes, uh, we do like that. Yeah. Uh, they have UVA ahead of Penn in some of these, and I just don't understand that one bit, especially after UVA's loss to Q's. How is that justified, AT? It's not justified. Okay, UVA is four and two. They lost to Penn head to head. Right. 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 They lost to Syracuse. Their only win is over Loyola, who's now a top ten win. Right. In addition to beating Loyola, they beat Drexel, Siena, and High Point. Right. You lose head to head to Penn. You're behind Penn. Right. Penn's only loss is to Penn State. And Penn State's three in the media poll. I had them at two. Penn confirms that with an 11-9 win yesterday over Navy. They beat them head-to-head. Right. Penn's ahead of Virginia, period. It is. If DU beats Notre Dame this weekend, who is your probable number one? Well, if Penn State beats Harvard, then I would say my number one team would be Penn State at Mm 5-0. Um you know, behind them, depending upon what happens with the heels, of course, would have them uh, behind them. Syracuse at yeah. three and one. So they're a potential, they're a potential number one candidate for you. I, I think you have to say. I mean, listen, Notre Dame could lose to DU. Yep. I think Notre Dame beats them personally. Well, we'll get to that in a second. In a second. Yep. Uh, Penn State could lose to Harvard if they don't Very find true. a way to slow down Morgan Cheek. Ooh, baby. They're they're. They're, they will lose. Yep. Um, so Notre Dame and Penn State have very real opponents coming this weekend. If these two lose, I see UNC bumping up to number one again. And then they're right back there, Ryan, as I said. Yeah. Their way to winning that second national championship. <laughs> I still think they're a Final Four team. Uh, so I would have Syracuse behind them, Maryland, although they got a tough game against Albany. There's a lot of games coming up, so it's yeah. hard to it's hard to speculate. But I just was curious who your who your potentials. Penn State wins. Penn State's getting my vote as number one. That's cool. that's that's, but, and then I I would argue Maryland does because Maryland's going to play against a very tough Albany team again. We're going to talk about that actual game coming up. Maryland but, would have to win though, right? And right, correct. Okay, and then so Mar- and that's Maryland what, Maryland at this point doesn't have any wins. Right, their their only win is Yale, who's a top twenty team that's now sitting at one and three and lost to UMass last night. <laughs> right. In addition to that, they've beaten Navy, who we all know is tough as hell. Yeah. St. Joe's high point. Right, and they yep. lost to Notre Dame, so they technically really don't have any wins either. Well, we talked about this. Neither does Loyola. No, they don't. Right, and Loyola, listen, I I, I had Loyola at thirteen. How does Loyola go to nine? In the media poll. I don't get that. How was Loyola ahead of Albany, UVA, Penn, 
it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Army beat Syracuse head-to-head. Yep. Right? Yep. Loyola hasn't beaten anyone. They beat Towson, who's no longer in the top. Well, they shouldn't be. They're not in the top 15 anymore. Two is Towson, right? It's, yeah. So Loyola doesn't have any wins. They have a really close loss to UVA. They have a really close loss to Johns Hopkins. You know, uh, 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 like you said last year, not too dissimilar to Marquette's best win was an 8-7 loss at Notre Dame, right? right? That was uh, No, Denver. Uh, yes, yes, correct. Right. So Loyola's wins are Lafayette, Towson, and Holy Cross. Right. Sorry, but that doesn't justify number nine in the country when you've got teams with big wins, top five, top 10, top 15 wins ahead of them. No yeah, way. Yeah, I think there's too much uh, bias in the poll voting for the very first preseason ranking. For instance, if you have a top 20 before the season even starts, I think there's well, too look, much look weight. Brown and Yale. I mean, Brown and Yale were in there, and they're not going to find a more you know, right. rabid, outspoken, biased fan of Brown than, than me. And I said that their ranking was too low. And now they're out of the top 20, and deservedly so. Yes, 100%. So, listen, you, you, you got you to gotta put the teams up and look at their body of work for you to put together a responsible poll. Unless you can verbally justify why you have each team exactly why where they are, you know, ahead of some teams, below other teams, then you're just going on politics, yeah. right? I, I, mean, I, I do realistically, it's like the BCS, the way they do it in football, which is until they're, you know, whatever, seven games in, you, you don't have enough data points to realistically be able to defend any decision. You're 100% right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to give a shout-out to Sisu, Mouth Guards, Witness Evolution. Uh, where are our hats, Sisu? We need hats. I don't know where I want a sweatband. I want a headband. I want, I want a mouthpiece. I want a mouthpiece. We'll I want be, a mouthpiece. We'll be right back. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. AT, we're back. We've got Coach Players of the Week. And I'm going to go to you first. You're going to give me the Coach of the Week. AT, what is your Coach of the Week? Um, well, I'll tell you the runner-up for me was Darian's finest, Matt Madelon, down in Princeton, New Jersey. What a win. You yes. and I both hit yes. the nail right on the side. 100%. Picking that game. You know, uh, nobody saw Princeton pounding Hopkins the way that they did. I was coming from work and looked at the score, and it was 12-3 Princeton. I almost drove into the telephone pole. Um, (laughs) And no, it wasn't at night. Uh, And so, uh, unbelievable. So, Matt Madelon's runner-up, but I got to go down to Chapel Hill and Joe Brush. There he is. Bouncing back. <laughs> Eight to five dismantling at the hands of the upstart Johns Hopkins Blue Jays down in Chapel Hill to travel out to, as you would call, the dentist office. Yes. Play against the best coach in the history of college lacrosse, Bill Tierney, out there, a team that's just caused North Carolina fits over the last Oh, miserable. Years. Miserable and fits. 
you know, what a win. And they control it start to finish. I mean, start to finish. So my coach of the week is Joe Bresci for the bounce back W against D.U. on the road. Unreal. Yeah, just when we thought that UNC might be, you know, especially with the seven. We keep referencing that 7-3 win against Furman. And Furman's showing us consistently each week that they are a strong opponent. Um, so it's nice to see Joe Bresch come back. In my Coach of the Week, and it was very unfortunate to witness personally because um, <laughs> I was on the other sidelines, uh, but you have to go with Jeff Tambroni, yeah. uh, a guy who has gone through a lot over the last few years uh, in his uh, coaching career at Penn State having such great success at Cornell, and then the Penn State alums looking for immediate success right away, uh, it does take time. And no one in the country uh, has more respect than the coaches themselves for Jeff Tamroni and no for doubt. him to finally go out there and put together a squad this year, especially after what happened last year with the death of Connor Darcy, uh, to have the team and the squad to do it this year. He's got, he, there's no question he's got work to do. Um, his defense is on the struggle, um, and his offense is through the roof. But And we're going to talk about his face-off uh, game in a second here. But Jeff Tambroni, it's great uh, to see him uh, be successful. And finally, for me, as a big fan of Jeff Tambroni, for all the good things I've ever said about him, finally get you know the wins that he and I and you uh, know he can do. So uh, Jeff yeah, Tambroni, huge win against Penn this past weekend. Uh, he is my coach of the week. A.T., who is your player of the week? Um, again, I'll build the drama, and I'll start with my runner-up player of the week. And there are a few different guys I could have gone with, but I settled on Brian Balcom, uh, the goalie from Carolina, who I believe had 17 saves in their win over the sharpshooting Denver Pios out in Denver. Uh, what, a, what a time to show up. What a great performance for him. But in the end, I ended up going uh, with Garrett Apple, the defenseman who shut down uh, your boy, yeah. Matt Rambo, who, based on the way you talk about him on the show, Ryan, I, I, <laughs> hope, I hope you don't have a fathead of him and his boxer shorts. I want shorts. one. If they I, offer I, one, I want one. Boxer shorts above your bed, Ryan, that's a little <laughs> awkward. That, that, that puts you in the same group with – uh, you know, Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz from Vanderpump Rules <laughs> and Quint is hanging around with those guys. He, listen, it, 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 Garrett Apple shut him down. He did. Four plus turnovers, six GBs, held Matt Rambo to 0-1. Matt Rambo only got his point, I think, on extra man, and he had four turnovers. Yeah. I'm, talk about Bernsey finding yet another guy no he didn't find him garrett apple was one of the highest recruited players coming out of calvert hall i witnessed him firsthand he was awesome and i'm glad he's doing well at notre dame listen listen yeah you have to say he is the front runner for defenseman of the year right now oh he's he's got to be i mean and that's then, carolina's the got some guys too and there and there are some guys foster out there. huggins is great at loyola too. foster huggins is great i love foster huggins i, I said last year i thought he was a first-team All-American candidate yes. defenseman. And mm -hmm. I'm with you. Uh, mm -hmm. When Loyola comes back, because we know that they are going to be there in the end, that is a team that I still think goes to the Final Four. Foster Huggins will be 
uh, you know, right there in the mix with the top three, four, five defensemen in the country, no question about it. I agree. My runner-up for player of the week, Ryan Tierney from Hofstra. Uh, and kind of piggybacking off of your enthusiasm for Hofstra, uh, Ryan Tierney, freshman, I believe, right? He's a freshman. Yeah, He's a, freshman. Yeah, freshman. Four and one versus Georgetown. A lot of freshmen making IYF. Uh, and a lot of freshmen, 2016 recruiting class, and I've said this when I was at Michigan, the 2016 class is one of the best recruiting classes out there. Uh, you can see it from the U19 squad and how well they're doing, uh, but you can also see it from just in general. Uh, Ryan Tierney from Hofstra, 4-1 versus Georgetown. Uh, good to see Georgetown fighting back now, uh, but they needed that win to stay undefeated, so Ryan Tierney was my runner-up at 4-1. and one. Yep. And but my player of the week, and I don't like to do it. I don't like to do the coach and player from the same team, but it has to be. I mean, Gerard Arciri goes twenty-four for thirty-one at the faceoff X with seven jumps. <laughs> I mean, this kid is an animal. Yeah. I mean, he's he is impressive and. Um, I mean, Penn threw the house at him. Uh, they threw poles, double poles, uh, ten man rides. Uh, he pulled it forward, he pulled it back, pulled it weak side, pulled it strong side. Uh, this kid is the real deal. Very Trevor Baptistish. Um, he's going to be regarded as one of the best faceoff guys in college all time over the next four years. Uh, but he was the difference in that game. Uh, they won by one goal. He had one goal, picked up 14, uh, 15 GBs uh, in a big, big game for the Penn State Nittany Lions. So my player of the week is Gerard Arciri. What a game. What a player. It's fun to watch. Uh, and unfortunately, Penn came up on the short end of that stick, which is, you know, unfortunate. Uh, coming back to the Pick'em. A.T., before we get into the pickums, give us a review of last week. Yes. <laughs> give us, do, do a little bit of a um, build-up here because Crescendo. the tweet Crescendo. that you sent out on Saturday uh, bummed me out so bad. So after Saturday's games, I think I was up. 15, I was 15 and 11 yes. after the Saturday games. And I believe you were 11 and 15. Is that I was correct? 11 and 14. I believe that was the, but I don't oh, know how that works. 14. But I could yeah. be 15, whatever. I, I, I don't know. All I know is I was in the, I had a comfortable lead and I felt that it was going to be. But the kicker was in your tweet that there were 10 points still available. And I was like, God, that's not enough. That was disgusting. Um, <laughs> Listen, I'll just get to it. Uh, I, I ended up the week at 18 wins and 19 losses, staring up at rock bottom yes. under 500. Yes. Uh, and you made a phenomenal comeback yes. on Sunday and ended up above 520 and 17. So you ended up snapping a streak that I had won, you know, I, I had won three weeks in a row. Yes. And was holding a lead. Um, but hey, you did it. So you were the smarter, better man this week. Um, and that's tough to swallow. However, I do take solace in the fact that overall, I'm still up by four points. I have 87 correct and 66 losses. You have 83 correct and 70 losses, but you are the reigning champ 
going into this week. So, so what was the final so, score the week prior? I thought I was only down two. Or- the week prior, the week prior, I was 20 and 14 and you were 16 and 18 and you were at rock bottom. Yes. Right? And that put the overall stats at 69 and 47 for me and 63 and 53 for you. But didn't I beat you by four this weekend? So wouldn't that make us even? No, you beat me by three. So then I would only be down one, not four. Right? You had two wins. Two, you, I had 18 wins. You had 20 wins. Right? You okay. came back and clipped me. Oh, okay. All right. And I was up six after last week, and I'm up four now. But you're good with shapes, like Hanford. <laughs> numbers and letters that throw you off. Well, Hanford, Hanford's good with shapes. Really good with shapes. <laughs> but only a, only a small group of shapes. Then everything <laughs> takes them by surprise. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to go to commercial, give Sisu. Sisu, again, where is my hat? I need a hat, although I don't want to replace this one. Uh, but I will if Sisu throws us hats, and we're going to do an entire show with mouthpieces. I want a Sisu anklet so I can give it to my friend Tom Gamino. <laughs> we'll be right back. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. All right, AT, we got a lightning round. This is a new yeah. thing we're adding to our show because going through all the games every week is just a little bit too long, but there are some that are better than others, and certainly these games we're not too, too psyched to talk about. Uh, we'll leave the better ones for a little later. But the lightning round includes this week eight games. Three, four, seven games, sorry. Seven games, and I'm going to basically throw out the game Throw out the spread, throw out the over-under. By the way, Lax Vegas lines, we appreciate them giving us these lines uh, earlier than when they published them. So uh, you are the first one to hear the lines for the week. But the lightning round is goes as follows. We're going to give seven games over-under the spread, and you're going to give one sentence, AT, and then you're just going to pick them. Uh, so first up, are you ready to start this uh, lightning round, AT? I am. All right, here we go. CSU visits number 16, OSU, at 1 p.m. on Saturday. OSU is favored by eight goals. The over-under is 21. AT, what do you have? Uh, I do not think that Nick Myers protects CSU the way that Bill Tierney did, the way that he did uh, when they played. Uh, So I've got OSU and the under. Perfect. I've got CSU. There's too many goals to cover for for OSU and not enough scoring. I've got the under. So I've got CSU in the under. Number 13, Army goes to Lehigh for a 1 p.m. contest Saturday. Army is favored by four goals. The over-under here is 21. What do you have, A.T.? I like Army's face-off guys to roll. I think too much momentum offensively for Army. And Lehigh's at rock bottom. Even though they are playing at home in this game, I like Army and the over. I also like Army toughness over a struggling Lehigh squad. I'll take Army, and I am also taking the over. Number six, Syracuse goes to Queens to play St. John's in a 1 p.m. contest on Saturday. SU is favored by six goals. The over-under here is 22. AT, what do you have? I like Ben Williams being back. 
for this game as we rallied back last week against UVA. I think they control the faceoffs. I think they'd roll it up on St. John's. I hope for Jay's sake that St. John's can rally back, but I do not see him covering minus eight. And minus I think six, Syracuse, minus six. Minus six, I'm sorry. I see Syracuse easily covering minus six, and I like the over. I think the Syracuse offensive train continues to roll. I like Syracuse in the over. I like Syracuse as well. Syracuse takes care of business uh, here all over the field, offensive, defensive, in the goal. Syracuse minus six for me, and I'm also taking the over. Cornell goes to number 11, UVA in Charlottesville for a – or excuse me, I'm sorry – Cornell goes to California to play number 11 UVA in a 9 p.m. contest Saturday night, which should be great because at least we get to see it uh, in California. Uh, UVA is favored by five and a half goals. Twenty five and a half is the over under AT, What do you have here? Uh, I do not like where Cornell is these days. They're struggling all over the place. Uh, the fact that UVA came off of a devastating Second half collapse against Syracuse. I think Lars is going to rally his boys, and they're going to get shot out of a cannon. I see them potentially scoring 20 goals plus against Cornell here, dominating the middle of the field. This is going to be a nightmare for Kermy and Cornell. I got UVA and the over. What's up with Cornell these days? Not enough uh, goal scoring. They're too young. They're a year too young. They they are just not there. I, I, I just don't know what's going on with Cornell. Number 11, UVA takes care of business for me as well. And I have the over as well. I think maybe UVA covers this by themselves. Number 15, yeah. BU goes to Hamilton, New York to play Colgate in a 1 p.m. contest Saturday. BU favored by two and a half. 19 and a half is the over under AT. What do you have? Uh I think BU is on a roll. I think they're for real. Ryan Poley is just doing an unbelievable job. I think his goalie, Carson Bannister, holds teams down. I think that makes this a low-scoring game. I think every time BU plays, it's going to be a relatively low-scoring game, and that's not because of BU. It's just because of what Carson Bannister has been able to do to the opposing team's offense. So I'm going to take BU and the under in this game. I feel like this is our first disagreement. Right. I'm going to go Colgate to cover here. I think this is a classic Patriot League game. Close one down to the last minute. I'm going to take Colgate to cover the two and a half, and I'm going to take the over in 19 and a half. Uh, so we've got a double disagreement there. Fairfield goes to New Haven to play number 20 Yale, who will no longer be number 20. Uh, in a 1 p.m. contest Saturday, uh, Yale is favored by three and a half. 19 and a half again is the over under. What do you got here, AT? I think you got two teams that just slipped by beating the rock bottom bowl, Ryan. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, I think that Yale bounces back in a big, big way. Uh, Fairfield simply is not getting it done on the offensive end, and I think that trend continues. Um, so I've got Yale, but I like a low-scoring game here. Uh, I got Yale and the under. I've got Yale here as well. Yale needs a plan, but so does Fairfield. Zone has been killing everyone in 2017, but you got to figure that Yale is going to come back with that plan that they need to cover three and a half. I've got the over on 19 and a half. I think both teams will figure out that they need to score, and uh, I'm going to take a 10, say, 14 game here. Last one in the lightning round, number 10, goes to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Penn is favored by four. The over-under here is 22-AT. What do you got? 
Uh, I think that Penn is too well coached. I think they have too sound of a plan on the defensive end. I think their offense controls the game start to finish. I see Penn covering uh, the four goals, no problem. And I like the over in this game. I think that Penn is going to explode offensively. Um, you know, the only concern I have is does Jenkin, Junkin hold them down? Uh, but I do think that Michigan has enough talent so that they get to the over. I can see like 16 to 8, 16 to 7. I like Penn in the over. As always, I'm taking Penn. Go Quakers. We're going to be right back with uh, the rest of the game five uh, or excuse me, week six picks. Uh, and then we also have our game of the week and rock bottom ball. Hang tight. We'll be right back. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. All right, we're back with week six. Week six picks. First one on the docket. You've got number 14, Stony Brook University, going to Piscataway, New Jersey, in Rutgers. Number eight, Rutgers, Friday at 6 p.m. Friday night game. I love the Friday night games. I love Sunday night games. Stony Brook is coming off a win against Fairfield 9 to 6 while Rutgers is coming off a win against your alma mater Brown 13-11 from this past week. The line, the spread of the game is Rutgers 2 and a half. The over under here is 24 and a half AT. Talk to me about this one. This is a game last year that Stony Brook won 15 to 6 and I just they just are getting it done. I mean, Jim Nagel's getting it done. They've shown that they are a scary team offensively in what they did against Brown, and they're also a scary team defensively in what they've done to Fairfield and some other teams and holding them down. Uh, Brian Brecht has got to be uh, – he's right there in the mix of you know coach of the year candidates this early in the yes. season. We've still got a lot to play, but there's no question that they are for real. Uh, this is a really, really – Tough game to call. I like the line at two and a half. I'm inclined to think that Rutgers is going to win the game. I, I, I do. I think that they're going to come back and avenge last season's blowout. Uh, but I just don't feel confidently that they're going to cover two and a half. So because of that, I am going to pick Stony Brook. Although I will say, I think Rutgers wins the game. But I'm going to stick. I'm going to pick Stony Brook and the goals. Uh, and I like the over in a really high scoring game. I like this game a lot. Uh, I think that you and I talked about this off air, that this could have been a game of the week. Well, it definitely was a game of the week candidate. Um, it didn't end up being our game of the week, but this is going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, you've got the story of two freshmen making huge impacts for these two teams. You've got Kieran, uh, Kieran Mullins, uh, a freshman attackman from uh, Rutgers, and you've got our guy Corey Van Genhoven. Uh, both of them making huge, huge. Jorn Vandersloot. Jorn Vandersloot. Jorn Vandersloot. No, he's stuck. He's stuck. He's stuck in the Bahamas oh. still, I think. No, he's not. Dude. He killed again after he got out of the Natalie Holloway oh. case. 
and now he's in the jail and he's finally where he should be. I can't he's, imagine his he's, day. He's in the jail. Well. He's in. I don't the want jail. to hear Jordan Vandersloot's <laughs> podcast. That'd be a little rock bottom. That would be rock bottom. I'm going to take Rutgers here covering the two and a half. I do like them. I think Stony Brook is, you know, a couple uh, games away. Remember, Stony Brook had a massive collapse last year in the tournament um, and or in their league tournament. Excuse me. Uh, I think they're going to be better this year with more experience in that. Uh, But I'm also going to take the over. I think you have the over as well. AT. I do. I'm going to take the over. I think this is going to be a very high scoring game uh, and an exciting game to watch. But watch those two freshmen play. I think it's going to be a good one. The next game up, number seven, Johns Hopkins going to Towson down the street. They're number 16. Johns Hopkins coming off the worst loss probably in recent history for Hopkins in an 18-7 loss to unranked Princeton at the time. Uh, And Towson coming off a win, a a sloppy win, but this is just kind of what Towson does. They just chip away at teams and just beat them. Uh, They beat UMBC 8-6. Hopkins right now favored two and a half points. The over-run here is 20, which is definitely the lowest over-under that Hopkins has had on the season. AT, talk to me about this one. Uh, I see Hopkins bouncing back in a big, big way. If Hopkins hadn't gone up to Princeton and – played the way that they did, I would have seen this as a trap game for the Jays at Towson. I think Towson's going to win the face-offs with Whittle. Yeah. Um, but I think that Petro and BD and Bobby Benson are going to have this team ready to go. They are not going to be looking past an opponent that they all know can beat them uh, if they are not at their best. But I think they will be at their best. I think they bounce back in a big, big way. I don't think Towson has enough offense to hang with JHU. Uh, so I've got JHU and the over in this game. I'm going to take, and I originally thought about this, but I'm going to take Towson here to cover the two and a half points. The highest goals output this season against Towson has been 11 goals, and that's by Loyola, which you could argue is just as potent offensively as Hopkins. And I have this game as an 11-9 game right at that 20 mark, but I'm going to take the over just to cover myself here. Uh, But I do think it's going to be a two-goal spread. I think Hopkins wins by two. I think they get back on track, but I do think uh, Towson covers the two and a half. I'm going to take the over here, and I'm going to take Towson. Next up, number nine, Loyola, going to Duke in Durham. Uh, to face the number 18 team in the country. Loyola coming off a win against Holy Cross, 16-9, as expected. And Duke with a comeback win against Richmond, 9-8. Boy, that would have been exciting to see Richmond win that one and really put the polls in spin and maybe knock Duke out of the top 20, most likely. Uh, Loyola's favored by 2.5 here. The over-under is 22.5. What do you have on this one, A.T.? This is, a, this is a tough game to call. I, I, I like our boys at LVL. They created a really, really good line at two and a half, and I like the over-under at 22-5. It's a really tough game to pick. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the face-off battle between Duke's Kyle Rowe and Loyola's Graham Savio. I think that's going to dictate a big part of the game. I think that Duke is going to end up winning that battle, and I think that that's going to allow them to – uh, you know, to compete in this game. I think they're playing better. I saw them play against Richmond. They did not look good in the first half, but of course, in the second half, they came back and played very, very well. And if they're winning faceoffs, they're going to be a team that I think puts up 10 goals on Loyola. 
at the end of the day, I just don't think Loyola's defense is going to be able to hold down Pat Spencer and his supporting cast. Um, and so I see this being a close game for three and a half quarters, and I see Loyola coming back and winning this game, you know, 13-10, 14-11, something like that. So I am going to take Charlie Toomey and the Hounds to cover and the over, Loyola and the over. I'm going to take Loyola as well. I, I just, I'm still not sold on what this Duke team is. I think that they're a little suspect on the defensive end. They've got a lot of holes there. Um, they're questionable in the goal. Um, they've got to figure that out as well. Uh, a 9-8 win over Richmond doesn't give me too confidence going into the number nine team in the country uh, with as much offensive potency as Loyola has. I'm going to take Loyola with the points at two and a half, and I'm going to take the over as well. Uh, mark. Interesting that you said 13 to 10. That puts it right at that 23 mark, uh, which is just a tick over 22 and a half. I kind of like that score. Uh, does Duke put up with the defense that Loyola has? Remember, individually, Loyola has some very solid defensive players. Um, and they're willing to mix it up. Matty Duan is willing to mix it up there and junk it up he's, a little bit. He's one of the he's one of the best. I see Foster Huggins chewing Gooderding head to head. I see him chewing Gooderding this weekend. That's going to create some problems for Duke. I do not disagree. Um, so I have a little bit more than a three goal victory here. I have it more of a four or five goal victory, but still taking Loyola here yeah. and still taking the over. The next one up here is Hofstra going down to Chapel Hill. And number four, UNC, in a 2.30 tilt on Saturday. UNC is favored by 2.5. The over-under here is 23. Hofstra coming off a win against Georgetown, 11-9. Remember Ryan Tierney having 4-1 in that. UNC coming off a W, a big one, in Denver, 13-9. AT, what do you have here? You know, this is a game that you look at and you see a Carolina team that's as good as they – you know, needed to be to beat Denver on the road and a team that uh, was starving for an identity to some degree in a 13 to five home loss against Johns Hopkins. I just think that Joe Bresci and Metsy are going to have this team ready to build on last week's performance against DU. Don't forget that last year Hofstra ended up beating the heels. I think the final was 10 five. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Um, and that's not lost on the Tar Heel players, certainly not lost on Joe Bresch. But Hofstra has a ton to play for. They're off to a great start, 4-0. Seth Tierney is an awesome coach. Um, you know, but I, I just feel like they don't have enough personnel to really be able to hang with Carolina for four quarters. I worry about Hofstra's offense against the athleticism and the talent individually of Carolina's defense. I think Carolina wins most of the matchups on the defensive end. I just think that Hofstra's going to have a tough time scoring goals. I think that Stephen Kelly controls the middle of the field, and I and I like uh, Chris Clark, the faceoff guy for Hofstra, but I just think Stephen Kelly's too good. Uh, so I, I've, I've got Carolina to cover this. I see it about 16 to 8 in favor wow. of the heels. Um so I am actually going to take Carolina, and I'm going to take the over. So this one, I actually don't disagree with any of your analysis there. I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to pure athleticism, and I think it comes down to the face-off facts. 
which you could argue is also a very 90% of this game is going to be just athleticism uh, from the wings and the face-off X itself. But for whatever reason, sometimes there's a game in the week that just doesn't come out the way you think. And just because you said 16 to eight, I think this is going to be a two goal win for UNC, which makes me think that Hofstra covers here. And I think it's going to be a little bit closer than normal that what you would, and, and many others would think, and I probably think too, but I'm taking a risk. I'm gambling here, going a little risky. I'm going to take Hofstra here at two and a half. I just like the vibe that Hofstra's giving, getting, giving right now. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think that going down to Chapel Hill while having home field advantage is obviously huge. This is a warm weather game for Hofstra. And they're getting out of the island. Uh, I think this could be a good game for Hofstra. And if I'll tell you, if it's if it's a one-goal game, I think Hofstra actually comes out on top here. So I'm going to take Hofstra to cover. Don't think they don't think they will, but I'm going to take it, and I'm going to take the over for sure. I, I think 23 is a little too low on this one, but I'm going to take the over. Number two, Maryland goes to Albany, state capital, New York, at a 3 p.m. tilt. Maryland favored by three. The over-under here is 23-and-a-half. Maryland coming off a loss, 5-4 to four loss to Notre Dame out in South Bend. Albany coming off a monster win against Cornell, 17-6. to six. Uh, This Albany team is sneaking up on a lot of teams. They are. And, and a lot of media as well. I don't think they're getting the attention they deserve. Remember, they only lost to Syracuse by one very early in the season. This is a different Albany team than we're used to seeing. Um, because you don't have, say, the superstars. You got Connor Fields. You got these guys. They're good, but you don't have the superstars and the Thompsons. And I feel like they're getting mixed out of the media <laughs> here. Uh, but this is a great game, and I think this is going to be a good one. What do you think here, At? I, I, I said last week I was not going to make the mistake of going against Scott Moore and Albany again this year um, until I get burned, and, <laughs> and, and, and then I get to this game. And I see Maryland favored by three. I see the over-under at 23-5. And, you know, I, I've, I've been enamored with Austin Henningsen at the face-off X for the Terps and his wings. I love their defense. I love their offense. But they got exposed against Notre Dame. Now, Notre Dame is sort of the exact opposite type of team as Albany. More defense, less offense. But I just can't go against... Scott Moore in the way that this Albany team is playing. They're just playing too well. And the fact that Maryland has to go to a big-time minor league sports town like Albany <laughs> and play them there, and Albany brings that kind of offense, and they play loose, which parallels the personality of Scotty Moore. Um, you know, I, I like Albany to cover this game. Do I think they win? I think they could, but I can see it being, you know, 14, 13 Maryland. I don't, I think Maryland is going to win. I do, but I just don't think that they're going to cover three goals. And I do think it's going to be the over because both teams offensively like to run and are uh, really, really scary offensively. So I like Maryland faceoff guy a little bit better. I like the Albany goalie a little bit better. I think it's a close game. I got Albany to cover and I like the over. Yeah, based on our conversations prior to the show, I thought you were going to take Maryland here because um, I, I, I just I talked myself into Albany. <laughs> I like Albany as well. I couldn't believe the line is three, especially after the performance Maryland had against Notre Dame. 
This is 23 and a half is way too low. I think your 14 13 is a is a decent score. 27 to 20 to 30 goals I think is right in that cushion area for me. Um I've got Albany winning this outright. Nice. I I really do. I take money on the I, I take Albany on the money line on this one. And go heavy. Definitely go heavy. taking Albany minus or plus 3. Uh, this is an aggressive line by the LVL folks, but it You're is going what it against is. the Matt Rambo fathead, huh? I am in this. Well, I think he still has a great game. I still, I, I think in this one, he comes back, he goes three and three in this one. Um, but it's just, it's not like enough three three getting out of the car, unless he's getting out of the car in South Bend. <laughs> That's true. He's, he's then definitely... he's in South Bend over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. Um, so I'm taking Albany to win outright in this one. I've got Albany plus three and I've got the over last game on this slate. And it's not the game of the week, by the way. Uh, we've decided to do another game of the week. But number one, Notre Dame goes to the dentist office. Number five, Denver. Notre Dame coming off, obviously, the win against Maryland, 5-4 to four in their hometown. DU coming off the loss against UNC, 13-9. Denver is favored over the number one team in the country at home by one. The over-under here is 20. AT, what do you think about this one? Uh... I think that this is going to be a game that further exposes DU. Listen, Brownie does an awesome job. He's a phenomenal coach. Maybe maybe the best offensive coordinator in the country. Him and Metsy, in my opinion, are the two best. Um, and you got two awesome coaching staffs, arguably the two best, right? Based on what they've done, uh, you know, you've got an awesome defensive team in Notre Dame against a scary offensive team in Denver. I think Trevor Baptiste is going to win the majority of the faceoffs. I don't think he wins 70% against PJ Finley. I really don't. Um, I, I, but I, but I'm concerned about Notre Dame's ability to score goals. I mean, I think I read somewhere that Sergio Perkovic shooting 10%. Is that right? Uh, yeah. He's three for like 30. I think. Listen, that's, that's uh that's when is he? When is he shot well? I know. I listen in the playoffs in, in the fourth quarter yeah. playoff games, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, he, to his to the kid's credit, he shows up at big times and shoots well. But in terms of a consistent scoring presence, he's just not there. Um, that doesn't mean that teams aren't game planning for him first and foremost. Although I think that focus has officially shifted to Ryder Garnsey. It better have, but Denver doesn't have anybody to cover Ryder Garnsey. I don't care. You know what they say about Bergdorf. That kid does not cover Ryder Garnsey. No way. I don't think anybody covers Ryder Garnsey one on one. I really don't. Um, and so I, I just feel that Notre Dame is going to win this game. I just think they are. And um, it's going to be a really, really low scoring game. Otherwise, I would pick DU. So I'm going to take Notre Dame and I'm going to say the under. I think it's going to be about 8-7 Notre Dame. That's what I think. I think they went out right. Wow. Uh, so that's interesting. I mean, you've got as uh, a guy in Tim Muller who shut down Ryder Garnsey. Uh, one and one. I mean, Ryder Garnsey still had two points in a five-goal victory. Part of being a good offensive player is playing at the pace that allows your team to win the game. If Ryder Garnsey, or I should say, if Notre Dame's goals 
was to go score 15 goals and win a high-scoring game. I think everybody knows they lose that game to Maryland in a high-scoring game. Part of a mature offensive player is recognizing that the goal is to win the game, not to win your matchup. And I think if Notre Dame had just said to Ryder Garmsey, look, go to town, I think Ryder Garmsey would have put up a lot of points, but I think that that would have favored Maryland in the game and they ultimately would have lost. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, nobody's going to shut that kid down. I mean, I'm, you're right. Statistically, two points is not eight points. And no. he's been scoring eight points. But I do think that that speaks to, um, you know, how clearly the Notre Dame coaching staff laid out their respective plan on how to beat an offensive juggernaut like Maryland. And they did that. And to Ryder Garnsey, he played within the scheme and they ended up winning the game. And he still had a hand in two of the five goals, which is 40% of the offense. Don't so, disagree. Yep. Uh, I, I equate Denver to like the Patriots, especially with Phil Tierney at the helm. Uh, Josh McDaniels running the offense. <laughs> and how Are many... they playing the Giants or not? What's that? Oh, they're not playing the Giants, right? Well, they played the Giants last weekend. Okay. But how many times does Bill Belichick lose two games in a row? It just doesn't happen. Not, and not and so from that standpoint, I, I, I'm going to take Bill Tierney and his squad to win this game and right. to at minimum right. how push. How do I take Tierney? <laughs> I just, like, that's where at home, look, how many times do they lose at home? I'd love to see that stat. I didn't do the stat before, but, like, Denver, I mean, the loss at home to UNC has to be the first loss at home since Marquette. Then they lose to Marquette. Was that in Denver? My, I don't or know. They lost to Towson in Denver. They, they did. lost to Towson. Right? Um, so at, at minimum, that's where they lost. But it's just it's 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 crazy to think that Denver loses two games in a row here, even though Notre Dame is a great team. Uh, I've got Denver here. I've got Denver covering. I think the faceoff X is going to be very one-sided. I think that Denver's patience is going to be too much on the offensive end. There's not going to be a whole hell of a lot of scoring, I don't believe. But this also could be the run-and-gun game that Notre Dame has. I mean, we've seen this two or three times a year where Notre Dame is giving up 16 and scoring 18. Um, last year, it was Q's. Yeah, exactly. And, and against UNC, too. I believe they had a high one in that one, too. Uh, eventually, Jerry Byrne gives up and is like, all right, well, look, <laughs> we're just going to run a gun. And they do. Jerry, and they, just, Jerry just wants to win, though. Jerry knows. Yep, he does. Um, and this could be that game, uh, but I, I, I'm not sure. But 20 is a little too – you know what? Screw it. 20 is perfect. I'm going to take Denver here covering, and I'm going to take the under. I, I just don't think they get to 20. I think it's like a 9-7 game. Yep. Um, but, again, we're, this is probably where we're dead wrong. Uh, this is a tough one to get. But I'm going to take Denver. I'm going to take the under. Uh, when we come back, we're going to finish up the show with the game of the week and the rock bottom bowl hanging there tight. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouth guards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouth guards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. 
We're back again. We're going to finish up this one with the game of the week. And for us at IYF, it's number three, Penn State, going to Boston and Cambridge specifically to play Harvard, the 4-0 and Harvard Crimson. Penn State coming off a win versus Penn, 14-13. to And then most recently, Furman on Tuesday, 12-10. to Harvard staying strong in their undefeated streak with a W over Vermont, 13-10 this past weekend. This is a battle of undefeateds, and I think that's the reason why we put that in the game of the week. But it also, one, for us, validates Penn State in their victory or validates Harvard in theirs. Uh, This is an interesting one purely because it was in Boston. I feel like this wouldn't have been our game of the week if it was at Penn State. Uh, But this poses it is an interesting game for us. The line on the game is Penn State minus three and a half. That is a large, large differential. The over-under here is 23 and a half. AT, what are your thoughts on the game of the week? I think the line is too much. Um, Listen, I, I have a ton of respect for what Tambo and his staff have done to this point. Clearly, they've established themselves as arguably the most dynamic team in the country offensively, riding the success of Gerard Arcieri at the X and his young attackman and veteran midfield. Um, But I I see a subplot here that's going to allow Harvard to keep it closer than three and a half. And that's the fact that Harvard assistant coach or associate head coach Ben DeLuca, let's not forget, was Jeff Tambroni's defensive coordinator during his time up at Cornell as those two guys plowed endlessly through the Ivy League for whatever it may have been, 10 years together. It just seemed like Cornell, Cornell. It felt like they were never going to lose again. Never are they going to ever lose again, right? And and, uh, I think that that's going to play a role, a big, big role, uh, in slowing down Penn State's offense. In addition, you look at Mac O'Keefe cooling off the last couple games, first against Penn last Saturday, and then against Furman yesterday. I think he only had one goal mm-hmm. um, You know, after an unbelievable start where he averaged six goals for the first four games of the year. Uh, I'm not saying that I think Penn State loses the game. I think in the end, Harvard finds a way to be Harvard, and that's I'm meaning that I think that they're going to lose the game. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I just think that's the case. Because I think Gerard Arcieri is going to win all the faceoffs, And I do think that the Harvard kid's pretty good. Um, but he's not Gerard Arcieri. And, and does he sorry win 70-plus percent like he did against Penn? I don't know if it's quite that much. But I can see him winning 65% in what is a very high-scoring game. And that equating to, you know, six to eight more possessions for Penn State. But I also see Penn State not being able to slow down Morgan Cheek. Morgan Cheek's going to have, I think, eight to ten points in this game. And I see this as a very, very high-scoring game, a lot higher than 23-and-a-half. I see it like 16-14 to Penn State or or 17-15, something like that. So I like Harvard to cover but not to win, and I like the over, Harvard and the over. You know, Mac O'Keefe has had one goal in the last two games. I believe he only had one goal in the Furman game as well. They had 
13 goals, or excuse me, uh, 12 goals in the Furman game, and I think there were 12, close to 12 different scores in that one. Yeah. Um, you know, he only had one goal in the Penn game. Um, I think that Harvard has the personnel to cover um, individually the defense, uh, or excuse me, the attack guys for Penn State. Uh, they're a great crew to watch and play, uh, or a great crew just to watch. I just think that three and a half is also too large of a differential here. I think the home field advantage is a big one for Harvard. I think that they're this is this is the game that Harvard looks back if they don't win the Ivy League um, championship as the game that potentially puts them into the national tournament. And so this right. is a huge, huge game. Absolutely for Harvard. right. It's a and, great and so uh, I do also think that 23-and-a-half is too low. I can see a 14-12 game. In the end, I do think Penn State wins it, uh, just purely on the fact that Penn State's offense is so potent and our Siri in himself is is Penn State's defense. I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, it's, you're right. He is Penn State's defense. <laughs> Penn State's defense True. is struggling um, I mean, the, the, I mean, I think Pat McEwen went off on a six-tweet rant about how poor uh, Penn State's defense is. I think they'll eventually get it together, uh, but in terms of it happening this close off of a Tuesday game against a Harvard team where you got Morgan Cheek to cover, I this is not going to be easy for Penn State. No. Um, so I'm I'm going to take Harvard in this covering plus three and a half, and I've definitely got the over as well. Yeah. But this should be an interesting game because Harvard could come out with a victory, uh, which should really spin the polls and ha- in a on a t- tailspin for sure. Uh, so I, obviously I'm rooting for the Ivy League, um, but I am also rooting for uh, the Big Ten as well. Uh, taking Harvard plus three and a half on the over and 23 and a half. AT last segment, rock bottom bowl. We have, or I'm not even going to say, I'll let you introduce it. Go ahead. Uh, there were a couple of candidates for this week's rock bottom bowl. As we referenced before, certainly with Fairfield getting off to the start that they have Yale losing two games to Bryant and then UMass at home. That was a candidate for the rock bottom bowl. Um, you know, you got to think that Cornell, with the way that they were playing or the way they are playing, and UVA, uh, you know, coughing up all over themselves to give up a five-goal second-half advantage at Syracuse was certainly a candidate as well. <laughs> um, but we just had to look at it. We had to be fair to everybody. And in the end, I hate to say it. Fair. <laughs> But this week's Brock Bottom Bowl is Mount St. Mary's at Bellarmine. And it pains me to do that to Dance Mac because Timmy Mac is among the all-time best ever. Uh, you know, but they just are off to a tough start. Bellarmine, I think, is 1-4. You know, Mount St. Mary's is 0-4. Neither team is playing well. Each team needs a win desperately. It's at Bellarmine. But I got to go with Timmy Mac. And I'm going to pick Mount St. Mary's. There's no line in the rock bottom ball. There's, There's no, no over under. There's nothing, right? <laughs> All there are is cold deli sandwiches on the way home. And it's a long, long, long ride. Ugh. Bus it's rides with mayo packets. Beat, beat, beat. <laughs> Internet doesn't work. Oh, no. No, no outlets. AC's the AC's busted. Ugh. No outlets. <laughs> 
there's a VHS tape stuck in the VHS. <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, it's tough to make it through the rock bottom bowl in one piece. With that said, I think Mount St. Mary's finds a way to win the rock bottom bowl this week. I got the mount. Mount St. Mary's 0-4 coming off a loss to Furman 14-7. to Bellamin is 1-4 coming Furman off a loss. Furman stickers all over the lower back. <laughs> Bellamin is coming off a loss versus OSU in that little Midwest Classic up there in Milwaukee. 14-11. to The highest goal performance for Mount St. Mary's has been seven goals on the year. I just don't see Mount St. Mary's coming anywhere near Bellamin in this one, especially at home. And the Mayo packets are going to be extra, extra sour on Uh, the way home to Baltimore on the bus for Mount St. Mary's. I'm taking Bellamin in an easy one. Ooh. against Mount St. Mary's this weekend. That is all for the show today. As always, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at In Your Face Lax. We'll be back next week, Wednesday, 9 a.m., to go over last week's, which is this week's, and the future week's picks and games of the week. Thank you for tuning in. And until then, maximize your comfort.